As they're going out, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. And uh, I've titled the message this morning, Irreconcilable Differences. Irreconcilable Differences. Now that's a big word. I, I can't spell that word. I can barely pronounce it. But I can tell you what it means. What does irreconcilable differences? Well, most of us have probably heard that phrase in relation to a divorce. Sometimes that is a, a reason given for a divorce, that there are irreconcilable differences. simply means that there are differences that cannot be reconciled. Well, I, I thought about that phrase and I wanted to use it in relation to the Apostle Paul and the fact that in Acts 21, he is going back to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, the leaders of the church at Jerusalem, they have a plan. You see, Paul's been out there preaching to the Gentiles, and he's been telling the Gentiles that you can be saved, and you don't have to follow the Old Testament ceremonial law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to stop eating bacon. Uh, you know, you don't have to follow that Old Testament law. You are saved and made righteous through Jesus Christ, who Paul was preaching was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He was everything that the Old Testament law was meant to teach us and bring us, and the Bible calls the Old Testament law, a schoolmaster to bring us up to maturity in Christ. And so he was out preaching that all over uh, the Middle East at that time. And uh, Paul, of course, was a Jew and had been a very devout Jew all of his life. But many Jews who heard about Paul's message were very upset with that message. And they felt that Paul was teaching uh, the Jewish people of his day that they didn't have to follow the traditions of the elders. They didn't have to do those things. And so as Paul gets back to Jerusalem, uh, they're going to try to patch things up there. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But first of all, I want us to notice there in Acts chapter 21, and we'll begin in verse number 17, where Paul is coming back home to Jerusalem. Now, many of you know the story. We've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday morning. And if you've been with us, you know that the last few weeks we've been talking about how Paul, as he went through the cities on the way back to Jerusalem, over and over again, prophets would come to Paul. The Holy Spirit would speak in a prophetic way through someone in the church and would tell Paul... Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to bind you and they're going to turn you over to the Gentiles. And over and over again, this message would be given to Paul and of course all of those that love Paul, all of those at those churches would say, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is telling you that you're going to be bound and you're going to be arrested and you're going to be turned over to the Gentiles. Don't go. Don't go, Paul. God's warning you. Well, you know, Paul told him, he said, listen, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you pleading with me and crying? I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, I'm bound in the Spirit. He says, I'm ready to die if need be. My life is not precious to me, Paul said. I'm, I am ready to die if needs be for the name of Christ. And so Paul had his mind made up. He says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. So now he finally makes it to Jerusalem, verse 17. It says, And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. 
And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And we'll stop right there. Now, first of all, I want us to notice when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he is met, it says that he is met by James and all the elders. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but uh, sometimes we read a name in Scripture and we assume it's the same James that we read about earlier. Well, there are several Jameses in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, there's probably four separate Jameses. The two that we are most familiar with is James, the brother of John. Remember, they were the sons of Zebedee. They were called the sons of thunder. There was James and John. John wrote the Gospel of John, and there was his brother James. Well, we, we know that James was a leader in the early church. But if you go over to Acts chapter 12 and verse 2, you might remember we were there uh, some weeks ago. If you go over to Acts chapter 12 and verse 2, we find out that James was the first apostle to be martyred to give his life for the faith. If you go to Acts 12, 2, the Bible says, about or Acts verse 12, verse 1, about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So, James, that's the end of that apostle. He was the first apostle to die. That's James, the brother of John. But there was another James. And look there, that same chapter, Acts chapter 12, in verse number 17. Remember, Peter had been thrown in prison, but he is miraculously delivered from prison. And he goes to the house where the church is gathered to pray for him to be released. And a classic example of how God is not limited sometimes by our unbelief. There they all are. You remember the story. They're praying for God to, Lord, please deliver Peter. He's in prison. They've already killed James. We sure don't want to lose Peter too. And Lord, please deliver him. They're praying, they're praying. God sends an earthquake, you know. They're, they're delivered from prison. Peter, he goes and, and he knocks on the door. And the little servant girl, Rhoda, her name is, is memorialized for all, all eternity. Rhoda, she goes to the door and, and she sees Peter. And she's so excited and so amazed. She doesn't open the door. She runs back. And she said, hey, tells the leaders now. The leaders, those great spiritual leaders the pastor and the great deacons and elders, those great men of faith and women of faith that are praying there, she goes and tells them, hey, Peter's at the door. They said, silly girl. You remember the old uh, commercial? Um, th th this is really far out. Most of you won't remember. Remember tricks? Silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. You remember that? I, for some reason, I remember that, but I think about that. They, they looked at Rhoda and they said, silly girl. You know, that's not Peter. Peter's in jail. Don't you know that's why we're praying that God might release him from jail? That is not Peter. And of course, you know, it took Peter a couple of times before they finally opened the door and let him in. And then in Acts there, chapter 12, when they let him in, there in, uh, let's see, verse number 17, it says, But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. 
Now that is a second James. Obviously the first James was killed in Acts in 12, Acts 12 verse 1. This is a second James. And this is James who was known as James the brother of Jesus. Now I don't want to spend much time on this, but I do want to lay this out to you. If you go to Mark chapter 6, you'll see James, this James, is listed as a brother of Jesus. In Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3... These people are not believing in Jesus. He's preaching. He's doing miracles. And they say, now wait a minute. This is nobody special. I mean, we know this guy. And here's what they say about Jesus. They said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And so that James that is listed there, who is the brother of Jesus... We might say the half-brother of Jesus. You know, Mary was conceived of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but these are the children that, Je- that Mary and Joseph had after Jesus. And so this James was the half-brother of Jesus who became a follower of Jesus. And this is the James who is the head of the Jerusalem church there in Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Now, just to give you a little bit of history, and I mentioned this last week, This is probably about A.D. maybe 59 or so when this is happening here. And we know from Josephus, who was an ancient Jewish historian, it's not in Scripture, but he wrote about it, that this James, this James the brother of Jesus that's mentioned here in Acts chapter 21, that he would be martyred and executed in A.D. 62. So he doesn't know it yet, but he only has a couple of years to live. He's going to be martyred in just a couple of years. Paul's going to be sent off to Rome. He's going to be in prison in Rome from A.D. 60 to about A.D. 62. And while he's in prison, this James is going to be executed. And I think we're going to see the beginning here in Acts chapter 21 of a great persecution that is going to eventually result in James being executed. So here Paul is. He's there at the Jerusalem church, and everybody welcomes him gladly. Now again, you don't know it. Well, hold on there. I mean, I've always been told I'm clumsy, but if I give myself a black eye up here, I'm never going to live it down. I've already knocked my glasses off, so I hope I don't give myself a black eye. But there, Paul is there at the church in Jerusalem, and they're welcoming him gladly. And if you put it together with some other letters that Paul wrote, you'll find out that Paul is bringing an offering to the church at Jerusalem. So this is like a homecoming for Paul. He's been gone from Jerusalem. He's now come back. He's been on a mission trip. He brings an offering from the other churches to help out the church at Jerusalem. So they're glad to see Paul. He's bringing them some financial relief. He's back there with him. They embrace him. And then Paul begins to share with them about what God has done. Notice there in Acts chapter 21 and verse number 19, he says, He told in detail all those things that God had done among the Gentiles through His ministry. He brings them a report of His ministry. Now, I want you to remember that there in Jerusalem, practically everybody in that church was Jewish. Now, you you and I have a little bit of a hard time understanding this because the church today is 99% non-Jewish, Gentile. But at this time, in the early church, and especially in Jerusalem, 99% of the people in the congregation were Jewish. 
And they were observant Jews. They had not stopped observing the Old Testament law. They were still observing the Old Testament law, but they had, they had chosen to believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And let me just make a little comment here for you and I as New Testament believers. Don't ever get the idea that all you need to be a Christian is just the New Testament. That that's all you need to worry about, that you don't need to read the Old Testament. Keep in mind, when every apostle in the New Testament, when they talk about the Word of God being quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, when they wrote that, they were talking about what we call the Old Testament. That's all they had. They were writing the New Testament when they wrote that. They were writing letters and they were living out the New Testament. What the New Testament is to you and I is a history of the acts of the apostles. And that's why we look at the New Testament as authoritative because it is like having Paul or Peter or those early apostles here with us because that's what they did in the early days of the church. As a matter of fact, that's what the letters that we read, Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians, those early believers had questions. And they wondered, you know, what about this? What about that? And they would ask Paul. And Paul would write them a letter. And we, today, we still use those letters as authoritative. So remember the Jewish flavor, if you will, of the early church. Everybody in Jerusalem. Remember the first great controversy? You know, everybody's been in a church fight. I, I hate to admit it, but I'm, I'm sure everybody has sat through a business meeting at some church where folks didn't agree. It's a sad thing. I, I've been through them. It's really sad. But you know, the first great controversy in the church, you remember what it was about, right? It wasn't about what kind of music were we going to sing. It wasn't about what preacher are we going to call. It wasn't about are we going to build on. Or it wasn't about uh, some collection that had been taken up. You know what it was about? I'm looking out and I, I don't see any Jewish believers out here. I, I see all Gentiles. You know, you were the great controversy. You and me. Gentiles had gotten saved. And that was a scandal. Remember Peter? Peter had gone and, and had that vision. He had preached to, to, to uh, some Cornelius who were Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. And they had begun to speak with tongues as the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. And, and Peter was just, he was amazed. He couldn't believe that God had poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And, and he went back and he told the Jerusalem church, he's, and I love reading that because it's like Peter is apologizing. He said, look guys, I didn't even give an invitation. It's not my fault. I, I, I mean, God just did it. I, I was still speaking. And while I was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on I had no intention of inviting them to join the church. I had no intention of giving an invitation. I just went and began to preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit fell. Don't blame me. I didn't bring the Gentiles in. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. You don't blame somebody, blame God. And, and that was the first great controversy in the early church. And they had something called the Jerusalem Council. They all came together and said, what are we going to do? I mean, can a Gentile be saved? Can a non-Jew be saved without following the law? Does he have to be circumcised? Does he have to start keeping all the Old Testament ceremonial law? And they decided in that Jerusalem council, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He can be saved, absolutely. 
But he's saved by trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. And you've heard me preach it so many times. My goodness, if you don't remember anything else when my time here is up, I want you to remember that the essence of Christianity, the essence of following Jesus, is that Jesus and your faith and my faith in Him is the end of the law to all that believe. It is your righteousness. It's not anything you do. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, certainly having said that, we all obviously understand that when you truly come to faith in Christ, He changes you from the inside out. And, you know, if you're still out there living like the devil, you probably are still serving the devil. When Jesus saves you, He's going to change your want to. He's going to change who you are on the inside, and you're going to desire to love Him. You're going to desire to follow Him. So, that was that first great controversy. So, here they are in the Jerusalem church, and... And Paul has been out preaching to the Gentiles. You remember as he went out and was given that ministry there in Acts chapter 1. If you go there and when we think about his ministry, just think about what he shared with them. We've all had missionaries come to a church. And, you know, the missionary gets up. and He's brought all kinds of things from the culture he's been ministering in. And he's got all, you know, stuff you've never seen before and... And he's got, you know, back in the old days, it was the slides. Anybody remember the slides? You know, they had the big round thing and the little things that went down in the slide and it would project and he'd move it forward every time. Of course, now it's PowerPoint. It's just not the same, you know, as the old slides. Uh, it's a lot, lot simpler and a lot better. But, you know, he would come and that missionary would share about what he was doing. Well, that's Paul. He didn't have any fancy slides. He didn't have a PowerPoint presentation. But what he had was word of mouth. And he got back and he says, let me tell you what God has done in my ministry or in his ministry through the Apostle Paul. And I can imagine as Paul began to recount what had happened, if you go back and, and you look there in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2, that's when Paul's ministry began and and I'm sure they remembered that as he was sent out from Jerusalem. And there in Acts chapter 13 and, and uh, verse number 2, it, the Lord is speaking. It says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul, which of course is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Well, they, then they go and begin to minister. They go to a place called Antioch. And they go to a place called Lystra and Iconium and Derby. You think, well, I, you know, th th those are kind of odd places. But you know, all those four cities are in a place that you're familiar with. It was a place in the ancient world called Galatia. And you've heard of a book similar to that, haven't you? The book of Galatians. As a matter of fact, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see names we're very familiar with because Paul went to those places, ministered, preached the gospel, people were saved, and he wrote letters back to those people to encourage them in their faith. So here Paul is ministering in Galatia, and there in Acts chapter 13, over in verse 44, really we see the beginning of his ministry to the Gentiles. Remember Paul, as he went out preaching, he primarily preached to the Jews. That's who his target audience was. But they continually refused to accept the gospel by and large. So in verse 44, it says, or verse 46, Then Barnabas and Paul grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, 
But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should go, that you should go and that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Well, again, we go through, and I've already told you about that Jerusalem council there in Acts 15. They were certainly aware of that. All those men had been a part of it, James and those leaders of the church. And then you go through, and I'm, I'm sure he told them about his ministry in Philippi over in Acts 16, how Lydia was baptized. And Paul and Silas were in prison in the jail at Philippi. And remember, there was a jailer there. God, again, gave them a miraculous deliverance, but they didn't run away. They stayed there. And remember, the jailer came running in, and he was going to kill himself because that was the penalty for allowing a prisoner to escape to be executed, and he was just going to go ahead and do it himself in a quick way. And remember, Paul said, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. We've not departed. And the Philippian jailer, he got down on his knees and he asked that famous question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I'm sure Paul recounted that story about his ministry in Philippi. By the way, does that sound familiar? Philippi, Philippians. The letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote. And I'm sure as he was in Jerusalem, he moved on and he looked there in Acts 17 how he preached in Thessalonica. And he spread the word of God there. And you know, when he was in Thessalonica, if you go back to Acts 17, the people in Thessalonica, they made this comment about Paul and his companions. They said, "Uh uh-oh, those that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. I guess it's a sad commentary on most of us, like myself, preachers and ministers, that nobody says that about us. You know, I mean, Paul, he, he upturned the apple cart. Those that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. That was in Thessalonica. And I'm sure Paul told them about that. And by the way, doesn't that sound familiar? Thessalonica. Thessalonians, first and second. Thessalonians, where Paul wrote the letter back to them. And then, of course, he goes to Athens. All you college students, you know some of the folks that Paul preached to in Athens. You ever took philosophy? You ever studied the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers? Well, Paul is there in Athens and as he's walking around, he looks at all the idols and I'm sure it's an amazing sight 2,000 years ago. And, but his spirit was troubled and he thought of all the people that were worshiping these idols. And you know the story, there was an idol there that said to the unknown God. And Paul couldn't help it. Did I say Peter? I meant to say Paul, I'm not sure. But Paul couldn't help it as he stood there. He said, hey... Listen, I want to proclaim to you a God that you're already worshiping, but you don't know His name. He said, you've got an idol to the unknown God. He says, let me introduce you to who His name is. And he began to talk to them about the unknown God. And, and no doubt the, the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, the Bible says, some of them said, this man's crazy. You know, some said, hey, this is interesting. I'd like to hear more about it. That's the classic, that's the classic reception of the gospel. Some folks, they hear it, it goes... Boom, they said, bounces off their head. Oh, that's crazy. I don't want to hear it. Some folks, hey, that's interesting. I'd like to learn more. Some folks, it takes root. And their heart begins to beat. And their heart begins to stir. And they have a, a yearning. And their spirit bears witness with that message. And they're drawn to the faith. And they come to the faith. And so it was in Athens. And I'm sure he told them about his ministry there in Athens. And then, of course, he goes on there in chapter 18. He goes to Corinth. Talks about his ministry there in Corinth. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? First and second Corinthians, the two longest letters that Paul wrote. And by the way, 
if you were a part of the church in Corinth, you, don't, you shouldn't get a big head because Paul wrote a long letter to you. He wrote two long letters because they had so many problems in that church. He was trying to get them straightened out, trying to give them information. And then, of course, in chapter 19, I'm sure he told them about his work at Ephesus as he was ministering there in Ephesus. And, of course, that sounds familiar, right? The book of Ephesians when he wrote back to them. And finally, there in Troas in chapter 20. And you remember the story? I've called him. What did I call him? I, I, I can't remember, but he's, he should be the patron saint of all Baptists. That's Eucletus, remember? He was sitting in the window, and Paul's preaching was long, it said. And he fell asleep, and he fell out the window. Now, listen, if you fall asleep and fall out of your chair and break your neck, I'm not Paul. I'm, I'm afraid we're not gonna, uh, probably not going to raise you from the dead. You're just going to be on your own. All right, we'll bury you, but I don't know that I can promise you that we're going to raise you from the dead. But I'm sure he told about that story. How God raised up that man and God did a mighty work. So all the ministry that Paul had done all throughout uh, the world at that time, he is there and he is sharing with the church at Jerusalem. So, to wrap it up, remember I, I said we're calling it irreconcilable differences and you might think, well, Brother William, I don't know what that's got to do with what you've been talking about. Well, here it comes. Here it comes. Look here in Acts chapter 21 and verse number 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Remember how I told you that in Jerusalem the church was made up primarily of Jews? That's what James is saying. James is saying, look, look how many Jewish brethren have, have come into the church. And it, remember, he says, and they're all zealous for the law. In other words, they're still, they're still following their traditional ceremonial law, but they're Christians. He says in verse 21, but we got a problem. He says, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. They're about to make a plan. They said, listen, we got a problem. You got, you've had some... You've got some bad public relations around here, Paul. Folks have been saying bad things about you in the Jewish community. Everybody is saying that when you've been out there preaching to the Gentiles, that you've been telling the Jewish people out there that they don't have to follow the, the traditional law anymore. They don't even have to circumcise their children. I'm just going to tell you, Paul, people are upset about it. People are upset about it here in Jerusalem, and they're concerned about you and what you're teaching the Jews out there in the world, among the Gentiles. He said, we got a plan. We want to prove to them that you're a good Jew, Paul. We're going to prove to them that you have not forsaken the traditions of our fathers, that you've not forsaken uh, all that uh, we've been handed down to us. So he said, here's what we want you to do. He says, we have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And James makes clear there, he says, we're talking about Jewish believers. Now the Gentile believers, they'd already written a letter in Acts 15 saying that you're not, we don't expect you to keep the law, you know nothing about the law, just 
a couple of things we want you to do. But James is concerned about Jewish believers. So they make a plan and they tell Paul, they say, we want you to go to the temple. we got four men that have taken a vow according to the Mosaic law. We want you to go with them and, and help them perform their, their vow and, and basically make a good show at the temple. Now, I'll just stop there and say if you, if you do some Bible study, you get Bible theologians and Bible scholars, they disagree about this. Some folks say, well, now Paul, he shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. You know, he was actually misrepresenting, because if you go back and read his letters, he does, he does say a lot about circumcision is not necessary and so forth. And so some folks say, well, we think Paul and James and the leaders of the church were going just a little bit too far trying to reconcile differences. And that's where the irreconcilable differences comes in. My friend, there, there, there's a lot today about, you know, getting together. I'm trying to think of that great theologian's name that escapes me. Yes, I remember. Rodney King. That great theologian. Some of you might remember Rodney King. In the immortal words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Anybody remember that? Can't we all just get along? Well... That's the word among religious circles. Can't we all just get along? I mean, can't we all just agree? Well, we should get along on everything that we can agree on. But my friend, if you believe the Word of God, if you believe Scripture, there are going to be irreconcilable differences. You know, as Paul Harvey used to say, it is not one world. Everybody doesn't believe the same thing. Everybody doesn't value the same things that you value or that I value. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't love everybody, but we need to understand that everybody is not going to agree. So here they make a plan. James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, and they say, hey, let's, let's make a good show of it. Well, what happens? How does it go? Look there in verse 26. Then Paul took the men... And the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Those are just details of the Jewish ceremonial law that he's trying to observe. It says, now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia... Now let's stop there. These are not believing Jews. These are not Jews that are part of the congregation. These are not the Jews that Paul was trying to impress and let them know that he was still an observant Jew. These are non-believing Jews from Asia, from a different part of the ancient world, who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. It says, when they see Paul in the temple, <coughs> excuse me, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against the law, and against this place. And furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Verse 30, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, and the commander came near and took him, and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. 
And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. And when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he had reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him. Now we're going to stop right there this morning. And we're going to pick up next Sunday on Paul's defense to the mob. He's going to address this mob of people. And so Paul is back in Jerusalem. Remember what the Holy Spirit said? It's just happened. The Holy Spirit had told Paul all the way to Jerusalem. Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem are going to bind you and they're going to deliver you to the Gentiles. Well, what happened? Paul, trying to make an, a good impression, if you will, going into the temple, trying to reconcile irreconcilable differences. Paul went into the temple. He was seen there and immediately was seized upon and would have been beaten to death had not the Roman soldiers intervened. Now I want to close with this. Listen, I'm, I, I dislike conflict, contrary to what you've heard. I, I dislike conflict. Most of us do, really. I guess there's a few exceptions, people that thrive off of conflict. But I dislike conflict. Most of us, are, we try to avoid conflict. Unless we're in a car on the freeway. And I don't know what happens. Mild, normal people, you put them behind a wheel, and they become, uh, I don't know what they become. Possessed or something. I mean, you know, they, they blow horns, they make all type of rude gestures, and stick their fists out windows, and nowadays they pull pistols out, you know. And it's dangerous out there. But for most of us, for the most part, try to avoid conflict. But I just want to tell you, my friend, if you choose to stand for what is right, if you choose to believe in anything, there are going to come a place and a time where you're going to encounter someone or some people that you will have irreconcilable differences with. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how, what effort you make, you're, you're not going to be able to agree and to all smile and shake hands and hug necks and sing kumbaya and everything's going to be great. Because there is no agreement. There's no agreement. And my friend, that is exactly what Paul is finding out here. And remember, James, who's making this good faith effort, you may criticize him if you'd like, but he just wants to have unity. He's trying to get everybody to come together and, and everybody to, to, to work for the same goal. He's going to be dead in a couple of years. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be executed. And a great persecution under Nero is going to break out and Paul's going to be dead in about six or seven years. He's going to be executed. And so, my friend, if you're going to follow Jesus, remember what Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. And I know everybody, you know, looks at Jesus as being, you know, who, who, we're getting to Christmas and little baby in the manger and who doesn't love Jesus? Well, evidently somebody didn't. They hung him on a cross. See that right there? It was bloody and ragged. They nailed him to a cross. Somebody didn't like him. And my friend, if we claim to be his followers, you need to understand that everybody is not going to love you. Everybody's not going to pat you on the back and tell you what a great person you are. Everybody's not going to say, boy, I just love you to death. They didn't Jesus. They killed him. James... They killed him. Peter, they killed him. Paul, they killed him. Over and over and over again. 
We find people in Scripture who did their best to serve God and honor God. And listen, God never tells us to be violent. We're to be the most gentlest people in the world. Harmless as doves, the Bible says, but wise as serpents. To be wise. Harmless, but wise. So, my friend, if your goal is to be loved by everybody, then you're following the wrong man, Jesus. You're not going to be loved by everybody. But if your goal is to love everybody, enemies included, then you're on the right path. Because that's exactly what Jesus told us to do, to love everybody and to spread His gospel with everybody. And But my friend, please don't misunderstand and think that you're going to find people that you're always going to be able to get along with. There are those that you will have irreconcilable differences with. Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that You will help us to follow You, to seek Your truth, Your will, and your way, and not our own. I pray, God, that you will correct us when we are wrong. Help us to be teachable and to understand, God, that we are frail humans and we make mistakes. But, God, I pray that you help us to have a firm belief in you, the author of all that is true and good and righteous. And, Father, that we would have the courage to stand for what is right and good and true, regardless of whether the world applauds us or not. We thank you, and I pray there's someone here that needs to make a decision for you. They'd make it today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing a hymn, if you're here this morning, you want to come pray, or I'll be glad to pray with you, or you want to make a public decision for the Lord, you just obey as we stand and sing.